This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. James, I have a question about a secret pertaining to my character that uh, cannot make it into the final cut of the show. Uh, You know, that's great because we have the spoiler bot. Yeah, ha ha. Finally, someone let me out of my cage. The spoiler Now bo- time for me is nothing cause I'm counting no age. Now I couldn't be there. Now you shouldn't be because scared. Because we have the spoiler bot. Let me finish. 5,000. No, it's spoiler bot. That is Casey. No, Great. spoiler so, bot. I've never heard his voice. Spoiler bot, please. <laughs> I don't what, sound what, like that. I didn't hear this. What would happen? I don't know what the actual thing was. I can't but... remember what it is either, but uh, Casey did become a spoiler bot. No, and, spoiler bot is spoiler and bot. did a spoiler bot to bleep out. That's something you were saying. Something you were saying. About, I think about spoilers redacted. Yeah, alluding to your past. Now I just engaged the f***ing spoiler bot again. And (laughs) I can't say so. So when we last left you, you had desperately pulled the Uhuru into port at Shank Hill, a small settlement built onto the side of a mountain. This settlement uh, mostly makes its money and the citizens make their living by different skyjack ships passing through and taking their ships in for maintenance, resupply, and some light trading. It's not a large settlement. You have pulled yourselves in by lashing ropes to it and... And hauling yourselves in, there doesn't seem like there was a large effort made by anyone actually staffed at the dock to help you bring the ship in. But with that, you know, you've survived a maelstrom. The ship is in somewhat disrepair. There were things that were snapped and blown loose by the winds. Uh, You are lucky that you even made it here, especially because you were extremely low on fuel. What are you doing? Is there anyone here that Dref knows about in Shankill that he would need to look out for to avoid complications? Okay, I gotcha. There's no one who directly you think would be after you. Okay. Uh, that doesn't mean there aren't people who would recognize you. Just based on where you were in life before you started this whole Skyjack misadventure, that you might be somebody that people would know about, especially social movers. You can't imagine why a really socially mobile person would have gotten themselves landed in Shankill, but you can never be too careful. Gotcha. So Dref is going to be extra incognito when he leaves the ship 
So you're asking around what we're doing? Yeah. What What are you doing? The, the ship has just pulled in. There, there was a very harrowing evening that you spent. You lashed yourself to mm-hmm. the the main wheel. Everyone else uh, sort of like pulled together to limp this ship into port. If you had to go anywhere else, the ship may have crashed. Jonnet kind of saved everyone by remembering that Shank Hill was here and getting everyone to Shank Hill. People might be a little bit upset with Travis, but his plan did just barely work. So the people who were amazed by Travis earlier might still be a little enamored with him. I feel like John, it might be a little down on himself just because I think it was his kind of like navigating once we got to Shank Hill that kind of screwed us, right? There was like a moment where it was like there was a heavy cloud cover and we had to like yeah you did so <laughs> i mean there, there's a lot of things there's there's oh, yeah. heavy cloud cover a star watcher who had been a star watcher for years and years and years would have had a much better idea of the relative position of the port yeah. uh where you were just through star watching skill you're kind of learning the ropes on that and you almost navigated the ship into the mountain okay well john is actually probably gonna like maybe just like Touch base with Spit, wherever Spit wants to be right now. Touch base, base with, with Spit. spit. There oh. it is. <laughs> That's a podcast within the podcast. Um, Welcome to Touch and Base with Spit. Get out of my room. <laughs> it's sexual. Get out. <laughs> he kind of like resolved himself like, that's never going to happen again. So the first thing he's going to do is probably go talk to Spit. And the second thing, maybe be sad at a bar. I don't oh. know. Sweet boy. So Spit is probably, uh, he's reclining on some cargo or whatnot. He looks like he's catching his breath after the excitement. Uh, you know, there, there was a period of time where people were very enthusiastically and energetically hauling the ship into port, getting it to the dock before the feather weave cooled down enough for it to sink down onto the dry docking stuff that's here. So Spit being god knows how old is super tired john it just kind of like walks up to spit like man you think these guys these hands at the dock could be any less helpful i don't think that's possible usually they'd send up a line or something to guide us in i i I don't think i want to come back to shank hill i can tell you that right now yeah you and me both hey hey spit what Uh, is it boy i uh i i feel weird about how we came into shank hill I feel like this was on me. <laughs> you feel like it's on you? What? You asked me to start Star Watch. Boy, you better have not summoned the maelstrom to us. Well, well, it was it was hectic. We were a lot of stuff was going on and 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 I'm not a boy, I'm a captain. Soon to be captain and Oh and I... really? Well, excuse me. <laughs> I didn't realize I should be standing up to salute. No, it's just I wanted to do better, and I feel like we had a moment where everyone needed me, and I feel like I let people down, and and I kind of caused caused some damage to the ship, too. Spit leans back a little bit. He looks like he's chewing something. You know, he's got a bit of that tobacco chewing sort of posture. Well, the ship needs repair, and no question about that. And some of that is due to... Minor collision damage, but most of the wounds the ship took that people are going to be griping about are because of the maelstrom, so I think you slipped by there. And uh, if you feel guilty about your star watching, 
And you might want to practice your star watching. <laughs> That's all there is to it. At the end of the day, nobody's dead and people are angrier about other things, which means you've got a chance to do better the next time. So I've got a scapegoat? Exactly. <laughs> now, Thanks, of everyone on the Johnny crew, runs away. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you learned half a lesson. <laughs> what time is it? I think it is time to party. Around mm. early morning, I oh, think perfect. the ship was pulling in around dawn, and and now you know the sun's up probably around eleven. Well, shall we get some food? There is a general mumbling and grumbling of people who are not quite sure where they land on Travis. They are right now rich, they know, because of Travis and Travis's actions. There have been some rumors flying about that, you know, this problem wouldn't have happened if Travis uh, had had taken their uh, desires to have him as the quartermaster a little bit more seriously. You know, Gable obviously can't be both quartermaster and helmsperson. Uh, so someone needs to do that job. And they did think it was Travis. Uh, but there's there's a small subsection of the crew that is complaining. Well, I'm going to get food. You can join me or you can stay here. Daisy and Fuentes uh, <laughs> pull up the, the gangplank and lower it to port as people start lining up to exit the ship. Uh, I grab Travis as Travis is like going to exit the ship. Oh, did you want to come get food? Um, I have things to attend to on the ship. Who is going to be in charge of the trades and the selling and distributing of the uh, cargo that we have and the uh, 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 gaining of, of necessary uh, vitals and resources for the trek ahead? I'm sure it'll all work out. <clears throat> uh, Travis, I need you to be in charge of these things. I'm sorry for being so direct, but you are the man for the job. Okay, well, I can't work on an empty stomach now, can I? You are correct, you... You cannot. I, I assert that yes, you um, um, man needs food to survive. Would you care to join? I'm sure that you can't work on an empty stomach either. I have been putting too much attention to my duties, and perhaps, yes, perhaps a chance to get some food would be advisable. You earned it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, delightful. Where is Gable? Um, Gable is. Looking around the ship to survey damage, because we took on quite a bit of damage, correct? You did. There is a lot of damage to various masts and rigging for the sails, mm -hmm. uh, even, you know, lowering the sails in the maelstrom itself uh, and trying to keep most things battened down. Like there's stuff that's going to get damaged no matter what. Mm -hmm. And people are looking things over. There were planks that were ripped off, windows that were ripped open. It's kind of a mess. So Gable is taking stock. I think what Gable's goal for this particular stopover right now is going to be not only to help repair the ship, but also to really build up on its defenses. Because in the past couple of days, we've seen just how well-equipped other ships are, such as the civility, mm -hmm. and a certain amount of known aggression that may or may not be coming at the crew sometime soon. So the more defended the Uhuru can be, the better. So... That's going to be a, a, an, a, an end goal 
as you are walking around the ship, uh, I, I want to know, did you take any time to freshen yourself up from your harrowing night or is it just moving straight from night into day? Straight from point? night into day. Gable wrapped their hands that were sort of chapped from holding the the wheel that whole night, but they're not bleeding. Mm -hmm. And is in the process of like tying up their hair, but overall it's more pertinent to the sooner we can get out, the better. So the sooner we can get repairs done, the better. And right now they, they haven't really had a whole lot of time to consider all the things that have happened. Yeah, I, I think Gable, one of the personality things that separates them from the other Ariners on the ship is Gable has an air of composure about them, whether or not they're feeling composed. Yeah. And I think your hair is kind of like wild and loose right now because anything binding it would have been blown loose in the maelstrom. Mm -hmm. So you have this bit of wild, uh, this wild look about you, but you're still walking about with the quiet dignity that Gable always has. And you notice the difference between you and the other crew members. While you are moving by to inspect things, they stop what they're doing, some of them, to look at you in silence. You can feel them whispering as you continue on your way. There are some people who are, you know, lazily doing their jobs or kind of indulging in the relaxation of having come out of a life-threatening situation who, when you walk by, suddenly start to work harder to approach themselves uh, more professionally and only relax after you've passed. It's stark. It's very different than the way they treated you even a couple days ago before you faced this ability. Is this the kind of thing where someone's been spreading rumors, do we think? Or is it just an adjustment of treatment? How socially apt would you say Gable is? Not very. It, yeah, I don't think subtlety is. So then those questions are the questions that might be moving through Gable's mind right now. They don't know exactly uh, what could be causing this change in treatment or behavior. All they know is that it's taking place. I think I'll go with... Travis and Drev. Great. To go get food. I think Gable uh, lines up behind you. There's Travis and Dref who are waiting. Oh, wait, there. how close are we to a dock? You you are in you've just pulled yourselves into dock. Okay, then I'm jumping off the ship onto the dock. <laughs> I'm waiting in line. Oh great. Uh, so I will come back to you. I think Travis and Dref are waiting to, you know, line up on the gangplank. And Travis, I think, still has enough social capital right now that slowly this line is kind of parting yeah, as I'm he's that moving line. through it. Like Dref, like watching there, if you were asking Dref, Dref might have sworn that they were standing still or barely moving at all. But uh, they started at the back of this line and they are now at the front of this line just through casual behavior by uh, Travis. Jonnet, are you going to join them or? Jonnet was like, he was in the middle of the crowd, the line, and he was kind of like sort of waiting, taking it in. He's like, Man, that maelstrom really screwed us over, right? Oh, I hate that stuff. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, like Travis kind of like pushes by Jonnet, and without even really like uh, <laughs> like a second guess, he just kind of like grabs onto Dref's lab coat, and then just kind of gets in as they start cutting <laughs> towards the front. 
you are all waiting for Daisy and Fuentes to have finished rigging up the gangplank so it won't slide free uh, so that you can go on your merry way down to port, maybe get something to eat before the real work of repairing and resupplying the ship begins. And you feel a shadow loom over and behind you and you turn around to see the captain is standing still right behind you. And your minds only have time to process that for a second or two before you feel the massive form and presence of Gable leap over the side of the ship and land dramatically on the dock below. Mm -hmm. I I will point out (laughs) that Shank Hill is like cloud level in the mountains. Um, It's actually kind of an advantage of its design. The clouds and and being at the elevation of the clouds cools feather weave. So when you're docking a ship, Mm. moving into cloud cover cools down the feather weave, making it easier to settle the ship in and making it less sensitive to uh, the coal furnaces that might be aboard ships. Mm. But it also means that this port is incredibly misty so you can barely see a couple feet out in front of you as you are looking around through this mist and when gable jumps down onto the dock there is a bit of a clearing as a huge wind gusts some of the mist apart the mist clears in sort of a ring around gable as they do a cool three-point anime landing uh don't tell me what kind of landing i do that's true how does gable land three-point anime landing okay (laughs) okay so some of the fog clears away and you can see in front of you the dockside strip there are a row of places for maybe three ships uh only one really as large as the uhuru but but smaller sky ships uh, would be able to dock here as well there is a large warehouse uh full of materials that would help you service and repair a sky ship and there appears to be like a small bar slash cafe right near you where skyjacks would go to refill on uh, food and uh, alcohol is there anyone around there is nobody around that you can see okay and everyone is sort of coming off the gangplank right now yeah i I think daisy and fuentes lowering that gangplank so that the rest of people can proceed down the plank and and go into town and kind of relax after a harrowing journey over here Mm -hmm. i would like to do a perception check which means i dice uh yeah how hard is this perception check i am going to put this at average and also my perception's bad okay cool i know how game that is oh, it would be too purple you're right <laughs> I, I thought you were asking like yeah liz your stats it's no, too no, green no. great no no Good. my stats not my sense one yellow so this is gonna be bad so that looks like a failure. a failure and a threat great the fog around you is thick even though you cleared away some of it when you landed there is a lot of it that's starting to push back in this city is built onto the side of a mountain um, and city is really generous this service station glorified service station is built onto the side of a mountain and you're inside a cloud right now so it's really hard to see around you you 
do notice that it's also difficult to hear things that are too far away. The thick fog is swallowing up the voices of your companions as they make their way down the gangplank. And the silence and stillness of this place are a little bit eerie. I think the hairs on the back of your neck start to stand up. Gable draws their sword and sort of turns back towards the gangplank to meet everyone. Who are the first folks down the gangplank? Yeah, Jonnet watches, probably watching Gable jump off and land. And when he sees them land, he gets like kind of like nervous. Oh, oh God. So he runs down and he pulls out his revolver. And now he's just kind of like trying to grow up. Is everything okay? I don't believe so. But I don't have a reason not to keep going, so... Seeing people draw weapons makes the the rest of the crew that that's up on the ship, like, kind of nervous. Hey, what's going on down there? Actually, John, it some sort of magical interference going on right now. Do you think you could, I don't know, feel around for anything strange? Are you talking about with, like, my... And then he points to the space where his third eye is. Uh-huh, your forehead. Yes, come on. Well, no, I, I just... I don't really have a lot of... I don't know how to use it. It just kind of happens when it happens. Oh, okay. I didn't... I, I didn't know. No, it, it's okay. I just, next, When we get back on the ship, I want to talk to you about that, but that mm-hmm. we can't do that now. Okay, that's fine. Whatever you're comfortable with. Okay. Travis? <laughs> hmm? Do you hear anything? No. Yeah, right? Hmm. Hmm. Hello? No. Uh, the echo sort of dies very quickly in the thick fog, but notably, there is nobody coming towards you to answer that call. Well, it is early. But you would think that people would still be out and about. It's. I don't, I don't think we should all go in. I think just a few of us should. Yes, I don't care for this. The folks on the gangplank are, are, are still making their way down. Uh, there are a few determinate crew members uh, that are trying to push past Jonnet and Travis and make their way over to the, the bar tavern cafe. I guess Jonnet, here's the interaction between Gable and Travis. And when people start coming down the gangplank, Jonnet turns and kind of like waves up at the ship at like no dose, kind of like signals them to come down. No dose! Nodos, uh, a, a word? Nodos also does a flashy jump off the side of the ship uh, into a three-point anime landing and show makes off. his way over to John. Yeah, Nodos is the show off. <laughs> uh, Nodos, what is it? Uh, hey, uh, I, I think that there's something wrong with this place. Um, I don't think it's a good idea. We don't think that it's a good idea for the crew to all get off and just hang out in the in the in the bar i think we need you to keep them on the ship i don't know how long that's reasonable these people have just been through a very harrowing ride over to this place it could get more harrowing if we encounter something we're not prepared for all right just stall as long as you can should i tell people to prepare for a fight i i mean i don't know but it doesn't have to come to that just yet all right let's just make sure that we have, uh, we're taking inventory, making sure that the ship is in good shape uh, after getting here after such trying uh, times. There's no inventory. That's part of the yeah, problem. That's, I need you to come up with the lie. It's fine. Uh, like, <laughs> Nodos looks over to Gable for reassurance that this is the order. Uh, Gable gives uh, Nodos a very unconvincing sort of like wink. 
the book. But I don't think Gable's ever winked before. Yeah, no, <laughs> so it's really unsettling. No nose looks to Gable with his just constantly tired eyes mm-hmm. <laughs> and sighs and uh, starts to make his way uh, back to the gangplank. Uh, we, we can see coming down right towards him is Wendell. Wendell appears to be, you know, tired, but in relatively good spirits. And you can see a conversation between them. It is short. Wendell looks frustrated. um, And he looks back up to the captain. Hey, captain, what gives? And we can see the captain standing on the side of the ship, overlooking the rest of the crew or appearing to overlook the rest of the crew with Dref beside them, I assume. Yes. The captain, like, looks down over everything and then uh, walks away and walks back into the captain's quarters. Oh. And Dref, from up top, kind of gives a shrug. Really? There is a huge, like, kerfuffle of people, like, complaining and asking questions. You can feel that tensions are high right now. I think Gable's just going to walk towards the, the village. Okay. So we'll follow Gable for the Just time being. Goodbye. Where are you walking to? Uh, down the gangplank towards the, I guess, the pub or... Yeah. So uh, you make your way through the fog as, as you walk through closer to uh, the main structure of this town. You can see that there are many like kind of ramshackle buildings uh, that have been built onto wooden supports, uh, both, you know, uh, thicker deciduous wood and bamboo tied onto the side of this mountain or built around uh, iron supports that have been hammered into the rock itself. There are uh, rows of residential slash commercial businesses. Uh, Some of them have boards up. Some of them look like they're open. There are no real lights inside this tavern. It's, you know, around 11 when you pulled in, but it's very dark outside, very gray. You see the door to this saloon. No reason not to, huh? <laughs> uh, Gable just, I guess, opens the door. Yeah, you open the door. Inside, you are confronted with a chaotic scene. It looks like tables have been knocked over. There are drinks still standing in horns on the counter, and everything looks still. It looks as though people were here recently that are just not here now there are no signs of violence no blood no bodies but it looks like something very chaotic happened here and there are no people gosh travis is gonna catch up to gable and well travis would like to do that however there is a loud sort of argument of people asking what is going on and why they can't leave the ship gable the current helms person of the ship is not present the captain has returned to their quarters so the person that people want to levy their complaints against are the quartermaster (sighs) why can't we leave the ship well there's no one here and that feels bad don't you think so people are lazy so people woke up late I need to get a drink I've been through hell There's no one here to give you a drink. Then I'll take it. With that, you can hear a chorus of more chants and shouts. It's clear that you're going to need to do something to calm this crowd down. How does the gangplank work? Um, Would I be able to remove it from the ship and keep it on land? 
Yes, it would take a bit of strength because like it is this uh, Mm -hmm. board that you, you know, push off and like sort of hangs hooked onto one end and rests just on the dock itself. So you'd need to really push it up and you need somebody to help you with that. I mean, you could like you could just like start sliding it forward and John, it's already on land and could just pull it back. Yeah, you could head back up the gangplank and do something like that. Oh, are you also on? I I, I don't he, know. He who's was kind of like walking gotcha. down to like because he did have a conversation uh, with you. I thought I would like to be off of the ship when this happens. Okay. <laughs> uh, I I think to do that you would probably need to walk back up the plank and like jump as you push it off. Okay. I, I'm going to need some sort of roll sure. for this. Uh, maybe deception because you are like walking up as though you are going to calm people down. Only to disable the gangplank. Oh, yeah. I think that is going to be okay here. What's the difficulty? The difficulty on this, I'm I'm going to say, is average. I don't think people would expect you to do something like this. Suns out. Guns out. Yeah, suns out, guns out. So Travis starts wearing short sleeves. And fan artists were really going to need you to reflect that. The little bullseye reticle things that's uh um, those are threats threats okay and then the the triangles are triangles are advantages so this succeeds with five advantages so no no no, sorry uh three advantages so nobody is expecting you to kick out this gangplank so you're going to be able to do that effortlessly and also the way you do it i think is going to surprise and like calm or quiet people at least for a little bit so really uh that so calms them i mean he's gonna do something very flashy okay. so as I, I i'm like walking back up and i i say uh all right all right i understand you're all very upset we had a long night i was there i remember it's been rough we're gonna get this all taken care of and soon you will all have more drink than you know what to do with but for now i'm going to need you to stay here whether you like it or not my sincerest apologies to you and yours and with that he kind of kicks the gangplank to unhook it jumps on it and i think maybe it's a it's also got probably ropes on the end Mm -hmm. so it fall it doesn't fall like as fast as if you were to just drop it it kind of like falls a little more slowly uh but as it comes down since it's not really supposed to do that the ropes kind of come out of the pulleys yeah Mm. (laughs) take care (laughs) um like i think everybody sits there in stunned silence for a second okay that was cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah you gotta respect that it was cool uh jonet offers travis a high five i stick my hand out to shake your hand (laughs) so he's like holding it up and you just sort of (laughs) he like uh, snakes it back that was so fun that that was some good thinking well, be sure to take notes. <laughs> Cutting back over to Gable. Yes. Um, what do you do being confronted um, with this scene? Gable wants to use their divine magic to sense evil. Okay. And yes. I think I know what that would look like, but let's see if I can do it. Give me a divine check, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus I think it is going to be hard at this point. Three purple. I'm going to keep on failing all my checks. This is going to be boring. All right. Yeah, it looks like one success or no two successes yeah two successes and a threat threat, yes a single threat 
Yeah, because these are up. Yeah. Yep. A success and a threat. Okay. Um, so with a success and a threat, uh, what, what, what does it look like for Gable to sense the presence of evil or sin? Uh, <laughs> Gable will press one hand against sort of the uh, the threshold of the the door and then another hand on the hilt of the sword and close their eyes and I think it sort of shows up as if it's a like a golden shadow energy so like it's sort of seeing into the past where everything that is good and and or neutral is a gold but anything that is evil or the presence of, of an act of evil or a person of evil is a like gross purple to black. Liz, did you say golden shower energy? Yes, I did. Cool. That's like the big dick energy for 2019. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big piss, piss energy. Damn. Piss. Gable has big piss energy. Yes. <laughs> Seven uh, feet tall. <laughs> Um, so yeah gable places their hand on a sword and and the chair and we see the world in this energy like and that energy courses throughout gable's being and like a very frail and kind of damaged nerve network springs out from Gable's back and moves down to support this single feather. And we, we see this feather like kind of unfurl. It looks tattered and worn and thin, but eyes pop open on that. And through those eyes, we see the world in this way. And there is very faint malice here. Most of what you see is sort of gray and silvery, mundane and ordinary. Behind it, though, there is this faint sense of something terrible was here that is not here now. And you can hear, I think, faintly because you're only seeing through a single feather. Probably way back when uh, there was a time where you could perfectly recall the past and see events that had transpired before you arrived. But you only hear faint echoes of shouts and screams. Any is there any sort of visual of like where it was, where it's going? Too hazy. You just know that in this place there was some chaos uh, that appears to line up with the scene that you see in front of you. Okay. Gable turns back around, and I assume that the boys are catching up, right? With that, uh, we we can return to the dock. We have Nodos down on the dock itself, along with Travis and Jonnet. Dref, I think for the time being, is still on the ship. I want Jonnet to have seen Gable take command of the feather and like open the eyes of the feather. Mm-hmm. Um, would it would we just be able to say that Jonnet like caught up? Uh, or, has that, or has that not enough time passed? No, I think Gable is standing like outside of the door enough in the entryway so you could see it from afar and okay. kind of like see that. Okay. Okay, so Jonnet sees this and like he's kind of like taken aback for a little bit and then uh, he wants to start moving on and uh, he gestures to Travis. Hey, Travis, hmm? uh, has has Gable like make that feather do that whenever, right? I f- I have no idea. Well, I, okay, I'm just saying. No, I'll just ask her about it. And so he, I guess, he pulls out his revolver, and it's it's a it's a big old revolver. So he's got it in both hands. Um, so he wants to gesture to, to Gable. Gable, 
Do you see anything? Do you feel anything? What happened? I think like as you approach Gable, uh, one one thing that I want to point out, uh, Gable is tapping into this divine energy that is a Mm -hmm. part of themselves. And, you know, we've mentioned before Gable is gender fluid and it doesn't like the terms that people use to address Gable usually match, you know, whatever they feel when, when they look at them. In this moment, Gable looks less definitely one gender than the other that presence strikes you differently as you approach them this is definitely still your friend you just feel different suddenly i guess in that moment john it moves up behind gable and is about to like tap their shoulder Mm. but in that moment he has this feeling of like he doesn't necessarily recognize this person in the way that he has always and so he take is taken aback and he just Instead of like tapping on their shoulder, he's just, everything okay? Gable turns down to John and says, no, not at all. What's wrong? No, I, uh, you seem different. Not in a bad way. It's just, you, uh, you, you just seem different. Oh, um, I'm sorry. No, no, it's, it's fine. I, do you know what happened here? Any idea? It looks like, do you think that whatever's happened in here spilled out into the rest of the village? I really can't tell. No matter what, I don't think we're going to be finding any good supplies or, at the very least, any revelry here that the crew might want. Well, we might be able to at least scavenge something. I feel like, and tell me if this is not true, I feel like uh, Travis says this picking up a (laughs) beer. Just, the chalice is just spilled over and you're like just getting whatever's left of it. <laughs> yeah. So is it when I take a sip of like a beer that was out, is it still cold? It is not mm. cold. Um, I actually think uh, probably most alcohol is, yeah. is served room temperature in the British style, mm. but it is flat. Okay. I think mm. our best bet is to probably find the warehouse, get as much supplies as we can to get us to the next port and then try and trade there. Yes. I'll start here. Hey, that's not. This isn't the warehouse. Um, Travis, I think, is moving like back to the bar. Yeah, uh, definitely <laughs> pouring himself a drink. You don't need to roll anything to see this. You can see that there are definitely bottles on the back bar and, and barrels on the back bar that you can capitalize on. So we can see, you know, I think this is very clearly displaying that uh, Jonnet and Gable are kind of not having their wits about them in this situation. And Travis uh, definitely understands uh, when it's just time to take what you can get. Can I get you anything? Uh, You know what? What the hell? Uh, what do they have back there? Well, we've got a uh, $2, you call it Wells. Um. Do you have a mystery shot? <laughs> yeah, we've got a mystery shot. We've got a uh, bargain barrel beer. Pickleback. We've got picklebacks. Oh, I love pickleback. <laughs> what was the name? What was the name of the drink that Travis drank? Oh, I can't remember. It's a okay. uh, male. It's not maelstrom. maelstrom. Oh, maelstrom. maelstrom. Yeah, was yeah. It? Yep, yeah. it's a maelstrom. Is there anything that like? Do you have a signature drink? No, uh, I think. Would you like one? Ooh. I uh, found myself to be a bit of a mixologist <laughs> in a past life, so. <laughs> Uh, please, I think I can get oh, you something. John, John, sit down. He is so good at this. Please, okay, please just roll for me, Johnny. Uh, any Roll like, for cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to be your agility um, against two purple dice. My agility is three, so that's just three green? Yeah, three green. Three green and two purple. Um, yeah, that you, is... I think you do some stunts. That's a... That's, <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah that's three successes. So Travis does a little bit of a stretch, like puts his hands out, cracks his knuckles. I think he takes off like whatever outer coat he's wearing. Cool. And there's definitely like a vest and he's wearing a vest underneath and definitely some sort of uh, puffy type shirt. Nice. Yeah. And he's just like grabbing bottles. Uh, Jonathan, would you like something? I'll take a pickle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, there's the jar. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and I've got a radvertisement here for you. This one comes to us from Sotira, Rosenstern, Faye, Isla, and Gavier, and it goes to Phil. Happy birthday! We want to thank you for all your hard work as our GM, and you always keep us on our feet. We love every minute of it, and we hope there will be many more adventures to come. Thanks for helping these good, good kids and their suspiciously buff old man save the world. Oh, folks, I love hearing messages like this. Phil, it sounds like you're doing a great job as the GM, and I believe someone gave me a tip that I met you at Star Wars Celebration this weekend. So thank you so much for being so nice to me. A huge thanks to Phil and his friends for supporting the show with their love this week. And one more big ol' happy birthday to you. Folks, before we get rolling on the rest of this episode, I want to point out what an interesting journey it was to bring us here. You see, originally, I thought the Shankill Butchers was based on a labor riot that happened in London in the 1800s. It turns out its historical roots are actually in a religiously motivated crime that happened in the 1980s. And while the Decemberist tune and the name of that location certainly lends a grim portents for storytelling, I didn't quite want to wade into those waters, especially with those crimes being fairly recent. I actually had us go back and re-record what we did, which is what you're listening to now. As a result, some plot threads got lost. I completely forgot to make good on the fact that Travis was wanted. Even though we had an eerily parallel story of him kind of having a grudge here, it still wasn't the same thing. And we sort of lost Jonnet being in the thrall of the Luminary. However, he had a major emotional arc that was kind of driven by feelings of responsibility, which I think is pretty tied to the newborn Paul. So I think even though I wasn't doing my best as the Game Master, Tyler was bringing it as Jonnet. For those who are curious, I'm going to be putting the old audio that we didn't use because I felt there was an uncomfortable association into the secret archive. That's going to run roughly two hours. On that recording, you'll actually hear Johnny try to warn me about all this as we're recording it. But again... I was thinking in the wrong time period. That alternate version of this episode will be hitting the secret archive next week, so make sure you're enrolled as a $5 backer before then. While I'm pointing out my bad work, I should take some time to point out the very good work done by Arnie Parrott in composing a new guitar track for this episode, and Casey Tony's continually stellar editing work. Now, Arnie is still hard at work composing the first soundtrack album for Campaign, and if you want to find more information about that, you should sign up for our mailing list over at bit.ly slash skyjackscrew. But Casey's actually run into some bad luck. Recently, he was laid off from his job. Now, we all appreciate Casey's work here at the network, and we want to see him get support while he's in between jobs. If you'd like to help him out, you can head to his Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi.com slash Casey Pony with a P-O-N-E-Y. 
If you want to help create a source of sustainable long-term income for Casey, you should back either the Neoscum or OneShot Patreon. Casey's obviously compensated for his editing work on Neoscum from the Neoscum Patreon. And if the OneShot Patreon hits $8,500 a month, campaign will go weekly, which will double his workload from us. That also means doubling the money we pay him. Listeners in and around London and the UK should know that I'm going to be passing through on May 21st, and I'm planning a meetup. I'm still working out some details about the time and location, but it's definitely going to be on May 21st, so clear your calendars and be sure to watch my Twitter feed for updates. Before we get back to the show, I want to take a quick moment and thank some of our Patreon backers. Adam Crandall, thank you so much. Will Cox, thank you. Emma Catherine, thank you very much. Jenny Jones, thank you. Gabe Obermeyer, thank you very much. Kevin Roberts, thank you so much. Ryan Lynch, thank you. Jim Wordleman, thank you. And Brad Amrine, thank you so much. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Remember, if you're enrolled at the $5 level next week, you're going to get to hear an alternate version of this episode. It's actually about 30 minutes longer than this episode. And if we hit $8,500 a month, not only does Campaign become a weekly show, but we're going to hire our favorite editor, Casey, for twice as much editing work. You can find that and more at patreon.com slash one-shot podcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. Uh, while Travis is doing this, I think Gable's just searching around the bar for like personal effects or to see if there's any weapons or things to pick up. The bar, the establishment or the bar, the, the establishment. Okay. We return to the rest of the crew on the deck of the Uhuru. I think, Draft, you are right there with them. And it's a lot of people sitting around waiting and, and talking amongst themselves. And Draft, you have been pulled into a conversation with Spit and Wendell and mm-hmm. a few others. Spit, you've been around a while. You ever heard a, a port where just nobody's there? I can't say that I've encountered it myself. I've heard plenty of ghost stories, though. What about you, Dref? You're, you're a doctor, a scholarly man. You you wandered around a bit. You you ever heard of anything like this in those cities? There, there are no such things as ghosts. Well, there you have it. The creepiest <laughs> man aboard the ship says there are no ghosts. Wait, wait, wait. I'm... I'm not the creepiest man aboard the ship, am I? No, you do doctor stuff. That's real creepy. Well, but, but what I 
who, wait, who says that I'm the creepiest man aboard the ship? Well, nobody says it. It's just sort of what we all arrived at as a conclusion. What about uh, Timmy the Lips? He's always licking his lips. That's that's much creepier than what I do. Oh, sure. That's definitely creepy. My lips but- are so dry. <laughs> <laughs> then why are they so glistening, Timmy? I'm they so, always look so wet. I'm so dry. You claim they're dry, but I found nothing that could... Oh, but that's why they taste so good because of all the berries I eat. Isn't there a prescription unction or cream that you can give him? Not my lips, please. Timmy doesn't want the, the cream. No, I and don't. And it's a good cream. I mean, you can say what you want about Timmy's lips and the constant smacking sound of the lips, uh, you know, and the licking. <laughs> I, but he doesn't use needles or... Okay, okay, fair enough. What about jerk-off Jerry? <laughs> Who, me? <laughs> yes, I mean, I can't be I can't be more creepy than jerk-off Jerry. Well, I jerk off in the privacy of my own bunk. And all the bunks, it's open the floor plan. Just, yeah, well, if, you're, if you can... see it, that's on you. You know, if you know it's bunk time, you know not to look. Okay, well, I just... <laughs> I can't imagine why anyone would think I'm... More creepy than Jerkoff, Jerry. No one, no one is saying that you're more creepy than Jerkoff, Jerry, sexually. <laughs> okay. You're just creepy in a different way. You're like spooky creepy. Mm-hmm. There's nothing spooky about me. Oh. There's nothing spooky about you. I mean, that yes. coat always has blood stains on it. Yes, I'm a doctor. Aside from the fact that there's nothing spooky about me, and there's certainly no such thing as ghosts. I think... Part of the thing that's spooky. Are you jerking off right now? (laughs) Stop. Okay, geez. (laughs) I had a rough night. Anyway, I think that part of the thing that's spooky about you is the mystery. Whereas with me, jerk off Cherry, everybody knows exactly what they're getting. Yeah, I mean, nobody else uh, has their own quarters apart from the captain. Who's got his own aura about him, you know? I have to keep my own quarters because I have to have a sterile place so that I can... Nobody begrudges you your spookiness. I begrudge you! Well, nobody begrudges you except for them. Begrudging Barry. (laughs) And begrudging Barry... That's their thing. It's kind yeah, of a trait. Everyone has more things than me. <laughs> That's not true, Barry. Look at all the jewels you have on your necklace. But I want everyone else's jewels, too. Begrudging right. Barry, that'd just be too many jewels, man. All right, you wouldn't be able to have a full range of movement. You'd all be right, like baritone Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of the berries fighting. You, <laughs> your, bro- your brothers. Acknowledged, all right? Your I'm brothers, gonna, you should get along. I'm going to fight Barry. I'm going to have a berry fight. Hey, hey. hey. The berry brawl? Berry brawl. Berry brawl down, down at the blue Berry brawl upstairs. Berry brawl b- b- upstairs. <laughs> you know what? When I was in Wolf's too, I heard about some folks talking about something like this. Uh, you know, little little seaside towns, different pirate ports. Uh, they show up. Nobody's there to service them. Yeah. I think it's the red feathers. I was jerking off once and overheard a few people talking about quite the same thing. They said they went to a town they'd been to just a few months before everyone was gone. It was a ghost town. I was covered in my neighbor's wife the other day. And then all of a sudden, both my neighbor and his wife was gone. What do you mean that was the red feathers? Well, like, uh, you know, they they... Trying to attack our resources or something, you know. They, they, they've been making more moves recently. But you, are the red feathers the kind of people that would strike a town and leave no trace? I've seen the red feathers do a lot of things that we wouldn't do. 
You know, they're they're not like us. Well, they're certainly not ghosts, if that's what everyone is, uh, you know, implying here. No one said that. Well, you did. The, the whole See, I, that's the thing. Well, no one says the ghost thing except for the spooky Jerry, guy. Jerry, could you please stop jerking off while you're making a point? Oh, Barry, could you please stop being so baritone when uh, you admonish I, me? I cannot. I all right, cannot. all right, all right. Fair point. I... <laughs> I am spooky, but Thank as you. someone who we is spooky, I am telling you, there's nothing to be concerned about here, except... Thank you, it's if, just a natural part of human sexuality. If you... No, not there. <laughs> if you see a situation where people are uh, not where they are supposed to be, there are two logical explanations. One, something has caused those people to leave in a great hurry. B, those people do not want to be found. If anything, I would say that this is more likely a trap, which is why we should all stay on the ship and be on highest alert. Well, uh, back at the right before we cut right before we cut over. <laughs> well, I'll agree with you on one point. Uh, I don't think that we've got anything to worry now, but uh, you're wrong about one thing, Dref. <laughs> there certainly are ghosts, and we'll cut back to God the pub. Damn. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what does the drink look like that you have ultimately made? Um, so I think it's called a seraphim. Ooh. Oh, yes. And it definitely s- s- like has uh, smoke coming off of it. So, uh, and it's, I think it's clear, but with maybe like one drop of something red that kind of, you drop it in and then it kind of like yeah. Ooh, spreads, spreads through. through. That's yeah. very cool. I love it. So, yeah, a, a, a sort of smoky – boy, that's going to be hard to make uh, – kind of smoky seraphim drink uh, is, is placed in front of you. And I think Jonnet's pickle is like <laughs> – it's been like skewered in a way with like an olive or some other things. And it's just yeah. smaller pickles as garnish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Delightful. Um, what, what was the thing that we say instead of cheers? To letting ourselves be ourselves from time to time. Even if it is a little painful. Take flight. Take flight. Take flight. Crunch. <laughs> this is delicious. Thank you. It's what? not very often we get to have Eat fun. pickles? Oh. <laughs> uh, pickles, no, I have all the time. <laughs> oh. Hey, Gable. Yeah. Uh, this, this is kind of maybe something for a little later, but I was wondering, maybe when we get back in the air, this thing, he points to his head, has been... On my mind a lot. Yeah. And uh, ah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I just wanted to know, would you maybe be interested in helping me like figure out what it is, how to use it? I I feel like it's it's special and I wanna be able to to call on it when I want, but I don't know how. And it's sometimes a little scary. Um, Gable, do you have any knowledges? Um yeah, uh, Gable's a little bit dumb, actually. Intellect yeah. is only at two, and I don't uh, even know if this is something. That I, yeah, I guess John kind of just assumed that she would that they would know. I, I think that's a good assumption yeah. to make, yeah. especially if you're Jonnet. But I, I don't know that you know anything. I, I don't about think it. I. I don't think I do. Uh, so, John, I've been from what I've seen of what your work your work is, <laughs> you are capable of some incredible things. And things that I know are frightening to you, and I know you have a desire to control them. But those things are quite unique to you. As far as I know, perhaps it's divine magic, but it's nothing I've ever encountered. And 
when it comes to magic, the most powerful thing that I've found you can do is to allow yourself to do it. To just let it happen? Not be afraid of it, yes. I just feel like that just ends up with me waiting around for it to happen. And it, it happens when it wants to. And I, I feel like I want it to happen when I want it to. You feel that it controls you. Yeah. I want to be in control. That's wise. I'm not sure how much I can help, but I can show you how I do my things. When Gable says, I'm not sure I can help, John's shoulders visibly just sink a little bit. <laughs> and he like takes like a sad bite of the pickle. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that'd be great. Thanks, Gable. Travis, you are kind of like half paying attention to this conversation. What are you, what are you occupied with? I think... Has Travis been here before? Yes. Okay. Most certainly he's been to Shank Hill. How long ago, you think? Like a long time ago, probably, or... I'm going to say like five, ten years. Yeah, I guess I'm just trying to think of who I might still know here. Ooh. I like this being a thing that we pull a luminary for. Johnny, can you pull a luminary for Travis uh, to determine who you knew? Oh, yes, the newest card. Wow, watching you do that was so sensual. It was a deeply sensual experience. every card. Horny. He's still feeling the card. Uh, the whale. The whale. Ooh. You really hit that H in whale. Mm. You gotta hit the H. That's how it's pronounced in this setting. Mm. Here we go. The whale. Revenge, irony, and fate. If you are seeking revenge, your quarry will draw near to you. Distractions will be endangered or destroyed. It is up to you to claim it. If you do, you will do so in darkness. Hmm. I don't think I'm seeking revenge at the moment, but someone uh, might be seeking revenge on me. My, my thought was that uh, there was somebody here who you gotten a disagreement with sure so what was that over what was that like i mean it, it was i would assume just a disputed illamat game i think either they i was accused of cheating which i would never do or they were accused of cheating you know maybe hiding cards and sleeves or loading the deck or something for sure for sure so i think this memory did not strike you until you were at a particular angle in this establishment um, and like the memory returns to you. you you've been alive so long now that it's not like you are losing memories but the way you're able to engage specific memories that that happened uh, longer periods of time ago is just being in places that you used to be mm -hmm. so I, I think we see Travis like running his hand over a table and this strikes him. Can, can we, I just get a, like a montage of things that happened regarding that? Yeah. So as he's like running his hand on the table, you see it's, it was a pretty fast paced game. Mm -hmm. So you see people throwing down cards. Travis makes a play that looks like it will win him the game. Mm hmm. But then this opponent, in the same turn, plays a card that basically negates it and wins it for themselves. And it, it, it was such that it was the only card that could have done that. Uh, you know, I kind of like the idea that uh, Travis, you know, obviously all good Illimat players count cards mm -hmm. when they play. And the card that this person played, Travis believes, was already in their harvest pile. Mm. So, like, Travis immediately sees that and goes, you've already played that card. Yeah. Or that card was already picked up. So, yeah, we, we see that, that, like, Travis hate levy that accusation. The dispute escalates. How did it become violent? Travis reaches over mm -hmm. to look through 
the harvest pile mm-hmm. to prove that it's in there. The the opponent sort of throws like a knife down at the table, right? Like into the harvest pile as my hand is reaching so that they're like stuck to the table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're like, that's that's not the way we play here. Yeah. And I, I think people come over and this person is like clearly a little bit under the influence and like hold this person back and drag them out to their home. Uh, they are a resident here. They are one of the workers who repairs ships in the dock. And Travis, you know, remembers looking through the window, seeing this person be dragged back to their home. Uh, and now through the fog, you can see that building there today. We're going to return to the Uhuru as the crew is in rapt attention around Spit. Now, uh, most of you have uh, been getting into this profession at the time where it's more common to see people sailing in the sky than it is on the seas. But when old Spit started out, uh, that wasn't how it was. Here we go. I was a sailor at first. No. And when I was just about your age, I was on a boat and we... Espit is, uh, starts talking. Uh, one of the crew members picks up a guitar and starts to uh, fiddle a tune uh, behind uh, uh, Spit's uh, little story that he's weaving. Yeah, fuck you, Arnie. You there have to it, do yeah. that now. <laughs> um, you know he doesn't consider that, like, uh, he wants to do that. Yeah, probably. Well, he wants very much to do a guitar He was an old mariner, been sailing a long, long time, and he used to throw a bag into the sea before we'd leave every port. Why? Um, What was in it? Well, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. And why did he do it? Back then, and it's the way they are now, the seas are dangerous. The water would come after people who sailed across it. Doesn't like us. Doesn't like us even now. And... Some sailors believed that you had to make a sacrifice. You had to get in the sea's good graces. It was common for people to have their own superstitions and their own ways of making sure their ship arrived safely at port. Sort of the way that some of you folk have your own rituals now. But the way mariners did it was different. The bags had hands in them. (gasps) Whose hands? We don't know. But they were human. They were taken from people, probably people in the port. And once we found that out, we turned him over to the authorities of whatever port we were in, and he was hung. Chilled me to my bone. That's why as soon as it became possible, I left the sailing life and I went off to be an error. I signed up to be a red feather skyjack the first opportunity I got. But sailors used to come on ships like that. And, uh... Probably about five years into being a skyjack, I found another sailor who was already halfway to being a drowned man. And the look that he had in his eyes, I'll never forget, it was just like the look that that old mariner had in his eyes before. That same haunted look. Their bodies were different, their faces were different, but I'll tell you, they were the same man. So, Dref, I don't care what your medical books and your degrees tell you. There are ghosts, and people can be haunted. Eh, what's this have to do with us, old man? You're just talking nonsense. You don't have to listen to me. Oh, great. I'm going to get out of here then. I got some stuff to tend to. Now, the captain says we're supposed to be on the ship, and we're going to listen to the captain. Mm-hmm, I'm not leaving the ship. I mean, I've, I've heard of, uh town's disappearing. It wasn't ghosts that did it. It was the mariner. 
and we're, we're going to cut back to Travis now. Yeah, you, you were staring at that Yeah, he's just been quiet, house. touching things for a long time. <laughs> um, uh, I think Trav- he's going to Travis? kind of down the last sip of his drink mm-hmm. and head over. <laughs> we just watched him for 20 minutes just be <laughs> silent staring. <laughs> yeah, it took 20 full minutes for him to remember all of that. Yes. It was real time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you, you, you head out the door. Um, and walk over to this shack boarding house. Uh, it, most of the residencies that were attached to the warehouse were not exactly private residencies. They were basically bunks where people worked and, you know, made, made their life while they were working up in Shank Hill. You approach and, you know, the construction of this place looks very similar to when you last saw it. Perhaps there's some new wood here and there, but overall it's similar. Yeah, I'm going to go in you open the door inside it's less chaotic than things looked in the bar but no less empty there are no people here it's dark inside none of the oil lamps have been lit i'll light the closest one to me as you do it illuminates the room around you you can see you know some beds have been left disheveled some beds are made you look around and you can see an illimat box and it calls out to you because you remember the mat very clearly and the illimat very clearly from that night still and it's sitting there in front of you those brass those crude brass engravings that were nailed into it that you thought were so tacky um call out to you even now this is his place this is where he lived is his ocus anywhere nearby i think his ocus will be in there what what is it what is it yeah oh wow I think his ocus is like maybe a small because people use can use like trinkets for them. Yeah, right? people not... people usually use an object that is emotionally close to them or significant in some way. I think it's a small snuff box. Mm. Yeah, you you can see the snuff box. It calls out to you as clearly as as those brass ornaments on the Illimat itself did. I'm gonna take it. Take it. Uh, you can feel its heft in your hand, and you turn around to look at the door and. You see scratched into the wood of the door on the inside a simple message. And it just says, it's time. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Gable and Jonnet. So is Travis upstairs? Travis has left the tavern and crossed the street, essentially. Well, we don't need to go to the same place. Do you want to go to the warehouse? Yeah. I, there? Yeah, we should probably, they're probably getting a little stir crazy back on the ship. We should maybe see what it has in store. Lead the way. I don't know where I'm going. It's the big, it's the big one. It's <laughs> no, typically going to be. I'll figure it out, Johnny. Okay, it's the, typically uh, the biggest the warehouse is a house that's big. Jonnet oh. and Gable. Is there still fog? <laughs> yeah, Gable being led by Jonnet, uh, the two wander for a full 40 minutes because Jonnet <laughs> just can't figure out which one the warehouse I'm is. I'm letting him learn. Gable <laughs> does not help even a little bit. Uh, but you do you do arrive at the warehouse relatively quickly. Mm. Jonnet, I, I don't know what kind of port you came from. Were, were you uh, more like metropolitan urban uh port or was it very small well i think that when i mean in Jonnet's journey to port he found himself to like a large metropolitan place but he mm. like originally like born and raised in like kind of like a mainland town okay um so yeah 
So yeah, you being being from the mainland, the warehouse constructions uh, are so much larger than anything that you would have in the place you grew up. And even though you've seen bigger and and more impressive things uh, in your time aboard the Uhuru and when you were in that metropolitan port that allowed you to uh, take on the life of a skyjack for the first time, uh, you are still struck by the size of these structures, even even though the building itself is not very impressive apart from being large. But there are two bay doors that sort of roll open and they, like everything else in this untown, are unlocked. So Jonnet is going to take a second. He's going to like like kind of ogle at, at the, the size of this structure and then he's going to look at the front door, one of the bay doors, and then he's just going to, I don't know if there's something that we could do. He's just going to like try and like put his hand on the door and just like focus to see if he can do any kind of like extend his sense out and do any kind of like check like he's sort of seen Gable do just to see what if it's possible. I he's not like even going to say anything to Gable. He's going to get real quiet and determined and just like try something. Okay. I think this is going to be an arcane check. Yeah. Um, and I want to make it daunting. So that is three Sheesh. purple. Okay. Can I lower the difficulty by putting a hand on his shoulder. Oh, I've, I've already got like I kind I don't. Oh, yeah, you're pretty good. He's yeah. pretty good. He's very, and I, I'm not. I wouldn't be mad if this didn't work. Okay. Yeah, I, I think the stakes here are very low. Yeah. Like this, this building is huge. I bet there's so much inside. I wonder if there's a way to know. Okay, great. So that is a failure with one advantage. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I guess like the the simplest thing would be like, I wonder if there's a way to know what's inside. And then he uh, puts his hand to the wall, concentrates really, really hard, and then nothing's happening. And then he like squint peeks out of uh, his like left eye and notices that like there's a window right next to <laughs> right next to the door, and he's like. There's boxes in there. <laughs> and, and yeah, Gable looks at him like, were you trying to do magic? Yeah, I was trying to do eye stuff. Yeah, okay, it didn't work, know. but that's fine. You tried and that's what I, matters. Yeah. Do you want to just go in? Yeah. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Don't tell Travis that happened. I mean, I'll tell him everything. Okay. We're sharing. Just, it was his team building, but I'm proud of you. I'm very proud me. of you. I'm very proud. We open the door. Yeah, the, the two of you cautiously open the door and peer inside. The, the little light from the gray world outside uh, breaks the darkness of this room, and you can see rows and rows of boxes and barrels, large piles of lumber, a fairly neatly kept uh, tool table, and just stores of different goods in this warehouse. Gosh, I'm so bad at perception, but I think... I don't think you need to roll for think? this perception okay. uh, so much. Unless, what are you looking for? I'm looking for bad things. Yeah, I, I think like looking around, uh, this place does not appear to be bad immediately. Uh, make make a difficult perception check. Three uh, purple dice. Gosh, Hard. I'm so bad at it. Mm. The, the, the result would be then you not finding it. Gable is like a legit bat. Mm-hmm. Like excellent at all things except seeing. Um... 
Yeah, nothing, not a thing. So yeah, I, look I, at all these. It's it's just <laughs> four threats. Yeah, it, it's just a bunch of threats. So cool. I, I think you look around. You know, you've got your hackles up. You, your your cutlass is at your side. You're ready for a fight of some kind. And you and Jonnet make your way through the warehouse, and you find that you know a lot of the food stores that you need to leave port a lot of the the repairing materials like it's all here the this place has not been looted or ransacked it doesn't appear that if people did leave here because they fled it doesn't appear they took much with them which is chilling in its own way but you know that all the material that you need to fix up the uhuru and go to a new port even take a long journey it's all here for you to take. I feel like the the weight of the reason why these things are still here is lost on Jonnet. And he's just super excited. He's like, Jackpot! This is exactly what we need to get out of here. Oh, man, there's so much stuff. Ooh, barley wine. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> it's like they dissolved into thin air. And I think... We, we see Jonnet excitedly picking through things, Gable, you know, looking agape as he does this. And the camera looks up to the thing that Gable did not see. And it's very hard to see in this light. In fact, there's a potential that these two will never notice it and that no one will notice it as the crew of the Uhuru plunders this warehouse. But there are scratches in the ceiling. These are not clear words. These are symbols and pictograms that wouldn't make sense to someone who was not deeply educated in ancient languages, but they are symbols of violence and anger that have been carved into the ceiling, and it must have taken a impossible effort to get up there just to put these simple pictograms in. But again, even though they are carved violently and the images, if you were to take them in in full light, would be disturbing, they're not something accompanied by blood or evidence of human interaction other than the carvings themselves. We move back over to the Uhuru. One of my cousins started flying pretty early. Must have been around 20 years ago. Skyships were starting to become more common, but there still weren't many skyjacks. You'd tell your family you wanted to be an Ariner, and most people still thought you were talking about being a Mariner. And this is way back when some of the major cities were still moving inland. There were still some smaller coastal settlements then. They'd see Mariner ships and go dark, turn off the lighthouses and such, but there were very few attacks. At that time, the Mariner's drowned navy spent most of its attention attacking larger cities anyway. I guess just trying to attack populations as big as they possibly could. Now, there was one place that thought they were pretty clever. They built up levees to give themselves a drained area between them and the sea. They would only let certain ships through their canal. It was mostly a fishing community. The ships that went through were small. They figured if the Mariner did attack, it would just be cannon fire from way out. They wouldn't be able to get close enough to do any real damage. Why would someone spend so much effort going after such a small target, especially if it was so hard to get to? I mean, their village was small enough that it really wasn't a red feather priority for trade routes either. Still, occasionally, because my cousin was flying a smaller vessel, they'd stop over once in a while to pick up orders of fish. They were flying a route that took them over this place when a maelstrom hit. 
They got bounced about and thrown off course. They needed repairs, so they decided to turn around and head back towards this tiny village. He said when they got there it was quiet. Quiet just the way Shankill is now. No people working the docks, no kids running in the street, no ships that they could see leaving the bay. Turns out the maelstrom flooded the levees. Their little defensive canal all but disappeared. Everything got flooded on the inside, too. But that water going up was just enough for the Mariner's fleet to break through their outer walls. When he finally landed, walking through the empty streets was eerie. But nothing half as eerie as the evidence they found of the Mariner's dark work. There were hands nailed to doors. They couldn't find any other bodies. Just those hands. An iron nail straight through the palm on every door in town. Now I know we've all heard Mariner stories, and a few of us have even crossed swords with drowned sailors. And I don't know that I believed this one at first. I was young when I heard it, but I grew up and I was blessed enough to get my boat legs in the sky. My cousin's retired now, though. He stopped sailing after he got a mark on his palm that his wife swears is just a mole. But I think he and I both know better. He says on bad nights, when he can't find sleep, he hears the voice of an old fishmonger who used to work in that town, calling him, telling him to go back and see what it looks like now, see what happened to all the people that kept their hands. You believe what you want, but there ain't no more coastal cities, at least not small ones anyways. The only places left are big enough to defend themselves or the ones that call on the Red Feathers for help. He finishes waiting for everyone to, you know, react. Finish retching. You know, Spit, the, 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 the story you told, and you told it quite well, it, it, it is very powerful. But it is a story. We want to believe that there are these forces in the world that work in these ways, but it is men... It is people who do these things to each other. The monsters, the ghosts, the things that we don't understand. These are the actions of human beings. Nothing more. That ain't exactly true. A woman in a hat with a large feather plume on it, who is one of the deckhands aboard the ship. I think she's a lines person. She spends a lot of time maintaining the sails and uh, correcting any problems that happen during inclement weather. She looks like she personally has had a pretty rough journey over here as she was tending to the ropes before the maelstrom got its worst. She steps forward. I had a cousin who got taken by Rusalka from an inland town, mostly lakes and rivers, the only water that touches it. We ain't anywhere near the sea. It's not the kind of place that you'd expect anything terrible to truly happen. This happened uh, when I was about 15. It was Rusalka. She pulls out her own box of luminaries and opens them up and flips through until she comes to a card that she hands over to the inquisitive uh, crew member. And it is a depiction of a beautiful woman sitting in a river. She is naked and covered in river-born plants, but her eyes are dark and alien-looking. There's a bit of a mystique to her. She's a luminary, I guess. Uh, 
or a spirit or a god or a demon, whatever you want to call it. It's the story that everyone told in our town. That there's a river nearby and there's someone in there that if uh, you were young and, and, and foolish would, would try to call you into the water. And everybody knows that you're not supposed to be around water unless you're there with other people. They got somebody to watch your back in case you wade too far in or something. When my cousin was about 15, you know, he, he would talk a lot about going down to the river and, and, and fishing on his own and, and, and bringing home extra stuff to eat. He thought it was a good thing. And one day I went with him just to watch him, watch his back and I went to sleep. Fishing's boring work, mostly about waiting. And when I woke up, I saw him standing in the river, water up to his neck. And I heard this voice. It was like it was singing. I wanted to go towards it too. But I saw my cousin and he'd stripped all his clothes off and they were just sitting on the shore next to the fishing pole. And the last thing I saw of him was his head disappearing under the water. There weren't any thrashing or fighting. He just went under and never came back up. That's Rusalka. She just calls you in. Oh, well, yes. Well, yes. It, I mean, that exists. That 100% exists. <laughs> <laughs> I was I'm more speaking of, uh, uh, um, like a uh, large... I didn't mean to imply that... I mean, yes, 100% uh, uh, that exists that don't go near water. Uh, everyone, <laughs> if you hear a uh, disembodied haunted voice telling you to drown yourself, don't, don't do it. Walk away. Just run the other way. <laughs> Mostly, my, the point, point I was trying to make was uh, that people are also monsters. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh, kind of think this is where the creepiness starts right yeah for sure for sure it's the need to make that distinction um still i i don't have a creepy river murder story i mean that's yeah, but, creepy but, the voice was even creepy like yeah, why that, no one's saying she's the creepy one on the well it, say, was, are you saying that she's creepy no it's something that happened to her cousin but you're the one doing uh, the creepy uh, stuff all right, all right. see i we're not creepy because we're there? around you. I just don't know why it would be important to reinforce that people can be monsters unless you're trying to normalize your own behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, but, like but I'm, I'm not, 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 I don't do anything but, but monstrous or but barbaric. I mean, that but, we but, know, but, 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 but there's so much yeah, blood we, on your coat. But it, maybe that, that, then that is, that is you know, n n n me normalizing it. And maybe if, if, if one hears a monster uh, from Jerk Off Jerry to b b Baritone Barry. Hey. It just sounds like you're trying to move the window of what's acceptable. Well, it's up to a society to decide that and the uh, and we are sort of a society on this ship. And those norms, yeah. you know, change. So if if if, if, if jerk off Jerry's behavior is acceptable, then maybe my, my, my behavior is just as acceptable in a different form. They, and then I they guess thinks that he doth protest too much. Mm. Mm. What? No, everyone said mm, like they they they, they understood mm. what that meant. Mm. But you don't. Mm. No, I know exactly what they mean. No. Mm. <laughs> Wise. No, why? 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 Wise. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm wise, Willie. I'm so small. 
why is Willie's impossibly small? <laughs> <laughs> but he's wise beyond his age or his height. And Sky at Night, Sailor's Delight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think at this point, the pair of Jonnet and Gable have finished surveying the warehouse, which is very near where the Uhuru is docked. And I believe, Travis, unless there's uh, more that you wanted to do. No, I think after I see that very spooky message, I leave pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I think everyone has gathered, you know, close to where Nodos is. Unless, is there more that y'all wanted to do in the no, warehouse? No, the only thing we would want to do is probably check to see if, like, the goods are cursed or something. But mm. I don't know. Can can you just say they're not? That make our lives a lot easier. Are, the goods are not cursed. Thank you. Great. No dose. No dose. All right. Uh, you are going to be so excited. All right. Uh, that the warehouse over there. It's filled with provisions. All right. We're going to be able to get out of here. I am thrilled. <laughs> ah. uh, uh, Gable takes right. Nodos over like hey I know we've been through a lot by the way your tone uh, do you want we should have workshops on it you are uh, my tone are you, are you okay uh, I'm I'm filled with exuberance over the past couple of days you've gotten more and more like haunted <laughs> <laughs> I am practically jubilant at okay. this point okay, I don't let's just know go back. this is not gonna improve okay bye <laughs> alright let's get that uh, that plank back up on the ship and let's get these guys in into that warehouse. And I think the gangplank lowers and we see scenes of the crew of the Uhuru spilling into the town as the cloud cover passes. And for the first time, we really get to see the sun shine on this place. Shank Hill is not particularly impressive. It is not particularly ominous, especially without the fog around. But everyone moves through this town slowly slowly and cautiously as the crew of the Uhuru picks over the warehouse and then the tavern and then the businesses and the homes of this town, taking what they can, scratching their heads, finding almost nothing of significance. And before we know it, the stores of the Uhuru are once again filled up with enough supplies to accommodate a very long journey. And there are no answers provided. Yeah, I feel like while this is all happening, the joy and the excitement of finding the uh, stocked warehouse slowly starts to to dissipate as the fog does for Jonnet. Mm-hmm. And as he's... As like there's more moments of like all these men carrying these full like like provisions into the the ship while being able to like clearly and with the aid of daylight look around the the village and see that there's just absolutely nothing there. He just starts to get more and more like uneasy. And I think in that time, he's just like trying to like hurry people along a little bit more and just like he's probably one of the first people to get back up onto the ship. It's just more and more unsettling in the light of day. Yeah. And, you know, there's still work that has to be done. It's not just moving the supplies onto the ship. The ship itself took a real beating in that storm. And there's initial excitement. There's people blowing off steam as alcohol now costs nothing. (laughs) And they can eat as much food as they want because there is more than the Uhuru could possibly carry. But that excitement dies down quickly. And soon people leave their celebrations to go back to the Uhuru and work to distract themselves from the eeriness of this quiet place. 
and they think on the stories that were told about all of the things that could possibly drag a community of people away from their homes and make them disappear. And that's that episode. Scotty Jackson. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, all right. Jesus. Everyone shut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all of a sudden you're too busy and too good to answer letters? I don't think so. This is what it is. I this apologize. is what it is for the duration. I apologize a bit very much. I, I apologize for my outburst. Dear Uhuru, I like to consider myself a bit of a roguish type, wandering around trying to make ends meet, and every so often getting pulled into some wild adventure or another. I always say that all a man needs are the shoes on his feet and a closet full of disguises, and that's both a lifestyle and a line of work which makes me truly happy. Recently, though, I've taken a young man, a boy really, under my wing. He seems to be the practical sort and needed help getting away from some trouble. He's a wonderful companion and an even better friend. Not quite as quick-witted as yours truly, but skilled in relieving people of their valuables. The thing is, it's been a few months and a few capers, and at this point, I can see him changing. He's becoming more ruthless, less caring. I think he's even killed someone when we were forcefully separated a few hours during our last grift. And while sometimes you do have to crack a few skulls to get away scot-free, I worry that my line of work is a bad influence on the boy. Is there any way I can stay in my same line of work and keep him from being hurt or changed or worse? Is it worth giving up doing what I love for this friend I've met so recently? Any insight would be appreciated, perturbed, on Palindan. You know, the challenging thing for me is that I assume that all of these people have your voice. And that makes me not want to help them, you know? <laughs> yeah, they all seem kind of like crazy gold miners. Yeah. <laughs> How generous and charitable are you? Love you, Spit. This is a, a prickly little pear, isn't it? Mm. Yes, I say, steal away, and it's fine. Oh. Right? I would suppose, but... I think for this pair in particular, I, I, no matter what, someone's past is going to come back to haunt them in a very unusual way. And I don't know. Let say me there were un- some let wars me and stars. That real quick. No matter what, <laughs> your past will come back and haunt you in an unusual way. Yes. Yeah, that's the experience of 90% of the people we interact with. I'm sorry. That is a fact that we're all blindly accepting that no matter what, our past will haunt us in an unusual way. Well, uh, it's certainly true for me. If it's a no matter what, does that not make it a usual way? 
<laughs> Listen. No, the fact the fact that it happens is usual, but it is always in an unusual the way. How can something always be in an unusual way? There's well, a, no, limited, yes, yes, a yes, lot yes. of ways. It, the ways that it manifests can be are are strange and weird, but like, we know yes. it's always going to happen. I, as you know, I'm a I'm a high skies uh, pirating adventurer. Yes. I I, yes. I fly around, do stuff like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. I've got a cousin. He's just an accountant. And just last year, he was visited by three ghosts <laughs> that told him he needed to reform his life. His past came back to literally haunt him. Okay, That's but what you're way. describing is a very normal thing that occurs to a lot of people in a lot of different forms. No, no. matter what! <laughs> it's not always ghosts, though, you see. No, no, it's not always ghosts, but it's always three, and there's always a... Well, a certainly p- it's always three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's the rule. We have employed the ghosts somehow. The ghosts of threes. The was, ghost of three. was Scrooge a word before the book? I don't or think did it so. become a word because of the book? I think it became a word because of the book. Dickens did invent other words. It, it's He's that, like a Shakespeare in that book. Yeah, it's, it's that certain thing where uh, uh, Shakespeare is credited with the invention of a lot of words, mm-hmm. but it was really just capitalizing and writing down words that were commonly used at the time for the first time. Yes, but Shakespeare didn't actually even write any of those books. It was the Queen who wrote the books <laughs> yes. under an assumed name and yes, yes, published yes, yes, them yes. under the name Shakespeare. Yes, of course, yes, So yes, the yes. man we know as Shakespeare is actually a fraudulent author. Well, but, but the, the other thing you have to keep in mind is that the Queen was, was a cross-dressing man. We all read the same book and watched the same documentary <laughs> and listened to the same podcast. I saw a live version once. It was very fun, and they did have a real dog there. It, I watched that, too. That dog was very well it trained. It was a good dog. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Same show, same dog? I think so. There's only one trick dog. <laughs> to get back to the original uh, uh, question, if, if, if you are doing something noble, uh, 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 be you a, a, a doctor or, or, or some sort of uh, helpful person in the world, abandoning your mm. uh, pursuit to help mm. this child would be a matter of consideration. But yeah. since you are a, a thief and a, a scoundrel, a con man and a grifter, uh, it seems like you are facing a moral quandary whether you want to walk down a path path for good or continue down your destructive path for evil. In many ways, this child's life mirrors your own life and a choice that you had to make many years ago. Yeah. I disagree. With I withdraw my question. I withdraw it all. I disagree with the assumption that being evil is necessarily self-destructive. Sometimes it's cool and good. You think sometimes being evil is cool and good. Yes. Well, I, I feel like it's being called being evil is inherently yeah, definitionally, bad. Definitionally, it can't be good. I don't like being the semantics person on the crew, but, <laughs> but I you, will yes, say you that maintain yourself having, as such. Having a conversation with the four of you makes me feel insane and gaslit all the time. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> I withdraw my question. <laughs> and see. <laughs> <laughs> Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter at at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Like Arms of the Tide. Arms of the Tide is an actual play about fighting for what's right in an original magitechnological world on the brink of catastrophe, using the mutants in the night system. Join Quinn, Joe, Chanel, and John, and revel in the laughs and gasp at the drama. The only thing standing against the apocalypse are a robot with a fondness for stray cats, a wolf made of living plants who has a bad case of depression, and a private eye who is so done with all of this. Find Arms of the Tide wherever you get your podcasts.
Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter at Tyler A. Dave, on Mainstage with Second City, or at IO with Devil's Daughter. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or at Comedy Sports Chicago with the One Woman No Show. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who could be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs or on his podcast, Dilettante Ball. Dref Wormwood was played by John Patrick Cohen, who can be found on Twitter at JPSoFly, on stage at IO with Devil's Daughter, or on his podcast, Hey Riddle Riddle. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this production was composed and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find Arnie on Twitter at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. And you can find more of his work at ATPTunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, spelled C-A-S-E-Y-P-O-N-E-Y, or on his own podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and the card game Illimat, property of Together Studios. The role-playing game used for this production is a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system published by Fantasy Flight Games. There are no kings. Take flight, heroes. Health to the strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends near to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.